This show is part of the Darkmore Podcast Network. To join our community Discord or see more content from our members, visit darkmorepodcasts.com. Hello, everyone. I'm John. And this is Stephanie. And welcome to Borrowing Brilliance, a new segment of Dragon Mind. In this segment, we borrow brilliance from some of the world's most insightful minds using their ideas to better ourselves as game masters, players, and people. In today's episode, Stephanie and I discuss indicators that a story may be time to end, whether it's the story of a character, a narrative arc, or the story of a whole campaign. If you have any insights or questions, be sure to head over to the Darkmore Podcast community Discord and let us know in the proper channels. To support this podcast, make sure to drop a review in your podcasting app of choice to let us know your favorite thing about Dragonmind. So without further ado, let's get started. Stephanie! The end is nigh! (laughs) Today, we're talking about endings, and we may begin at the end and work back to the beginning, or start at the beginning and work our way to the ending. Yes, today is all about how to say goodbye. Today's topic uh, was one that came up uh, in our personal conversations outside of recordings, uh, just because one of the things I've been recognizing is In terms of TTRPGs, both personally and broadly, endings are a thing that are coming up a whole lot. Your favorite D&D character, Zoe, there has been talk about you retiring her because you feel that her story or her main arc is over. Geras, in its current iteration at least, or its current format, I I think that based on some shifts that have happened with the player's availability and my interest in what kind of games I enjoy, um, are prompting an end to its current state. And even more broadly, we just got the news a few days ago that the 2024 Player's Handbook playtest has come to an end, that Wizards of the Coast has collected all the feedback they need to feel like they can release uh, a polished version of the game uh, later this year. So there's just been a whole lot going on. And I figured we could talk about some different things like the player side of endings versus the GM side, because a common topic of conversation that comes up with a lot of GMs is they hate when their games fizzle, as in there's not a satisfactory conclusion. And a lot of times when their games end, they don't feel like they stuck the landing. But there are a lot of ways that we can talk about it today. Um, so where where would you like to start? Well, I think the the first question is just why why does the end even matter? You know, if we had fun on the journey, then does it really matter how it ended? Um, I think psychologically the answer is yes. Um, and the reason is just because there's this very common belief that TTRPG is communal storytelling, which isn't even necessarily a wrong belief, but The reason I say that is actually you sent me a podcast by Malcolm Gladwell on endings. And one of the things that he talked about is psychologically, we judge a story by how it ends. That you could say have a movie with an amazing journey and like the first two acts are amazing. This is actually something I hear about with superhero movies where like the first two thirds are amazing, but somehow act three 
didn't deliver the same emotional punch as the setup. Uh, and the flip can also be true where you have a book where it's like it's either kind of boring or a little confusing for most of it. But man, if there's a killer ending, then a lot of times we reflect upon that more positively. So I do think there is a psychological element where it does matter. I absolutely agree. I was I was spoon feeding you that question so you could. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it is a good question to to think about because you know the topic only matters if if it matters. So <laughs> we want to make sure that it's um you know it's something that that's a compelling thing to explore, which is what we're trying to do on this podcast is explore interesting things, and our our minds do they they don't work like a video camera or like a movie. So when we think back on a movie experience or a day out at a theme park or something like that, we were remembering the highlights. And then we also remember the way that things ended. So you can have a really great day. And then if something really crappy happens at the end of it, what do we say? Oh, the day is ruined. It was going so well, you know, but then if you're having a really awful day, you know, you wake up late, you're getting, you know, catching every red light, like things are just not going your way. And then something happens to turn it around at the end of the day, you go to bed saying, I guess it wasn't such a bad day after all. So the ending can really make or break an experience. And it, it, we are as human beings, we're, we're built around storytelling that's a huge part of of our the fabric of just the the cultures over millennia so I, I think that's why you know especially when a story has a sour ending it leaves you feeling incomplete and frustrated um and and you want to have that that full connected experience and that closed loop um I think that's another piece of why campaigns fizzling is frustrating is because if you don't get a chance to say goodbye to a character to a story um it can yeah it just leaves you feeling a little bit sad and a little bit empty and even you could have had all kinds of fun along the way but if if it feels like something that was gone too soon then then it feels incomplete well and that's where the seven baby steps really came from was the idea that First, if we haven't learned to trust our players to be able to follow through on a schedule, I found that most GMs by a mile, like their greatest fear, the thing that makes them feel more like a failure of a GM than anything is running a story that does not have an ending. So rather than try to just try harder or put more energy into being a bigger personality, uh, which often comes off frankly, is insecurity. Um, why not begin with the end in mind? Why not start with a structure where you're starting with episodic stories that have closed loops? And as you gain trust in your player's ability to meet the scheduling demands of whatever your game is, then start to tell longer and longer stories where you're confident that you are going to find an ending. So um, that that is one of scheduling is the bane of D&D. And that's why is because so many campaigns end without an ending. Yeah, you need that proper climax to feel satisfied. I need to take a moment. <laughs> I was sitting on that for like three minutes waiting for you to stop talking. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> Let's start with the player facing, because I feel like 
more there are more players than game masters in Dungeons and Dragons. So we'll be speaking to more people about how they approach their character. Do you want to talk a little bit about Zoe's development and some of the indicators that started popping up when you started considering retiring her? Yeah, well, I think it's so it's all interwoven with the pandemic, just like anything else. So we started, as we've talked about many times before, we started doing Gearus in its current iteration during the pandemic. Um, and that's what really led to the experience of typing and you then writing out stories using the the chat log because we had all our dialogue in there. Um, and because there is just so much time I started writing Zoe's. Well, she started without a backstory. I was just like Aladdin type street rat. I don't know. And then she's got a secret. She's a changeling. Whoa. And that was all I had. And then as I started uh, diving into some creative writing practices, I read Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont, which we've talked about on this podcast. And I was like, ah, I'll start writing Zoe's backstory. And, and I got really, really into it. And while the pandemic was super slow and boring and we all had so much time I was writing three to five hundred words a day of her story so I was really into it the driving kind of tension to her story was the secrets that she had so she was a changeling which is kind of faux pas in your um in your world and uh, of course we have such a like amicable accepting group like I don't think any of our players could play a character that was racist like it just wouldn't it wouldn't be comfortable so so the tension was really just so not trusting people they would have been fine with it the whole way through but what made her story interesting was that that tension from the secret um and then because I was doing all of this creative stuff in the background and enjoying having my own little story I ended up with more secrets for her like her being part of a a gang kind of reluctantly but kind of getting sucked in at a young age because of the war and all that stuff um and she's an orphan and so much tragedy uh just like any good dmt character um so and then it got to the point where you know it was just time it was time for her story arc to reach its climax and for you know that moment to happen where it was like all was revealed so First, what happened was there was something went awry on one of her jobs with a, a fellow gang member that caused her to need to then recruit the help of her fellow Swift Guard members. So that secret kind of came out. And then to continue building, um, I asked you to kill her so that she could go go all pasty and white and it could be revealed that she was a changeling. And that was what I'd been building towards. And now in the meantime, life came back and, and I have not had that 300 to 500 creative writing words every day. So I kind of haven't been as invested in her story, still enjoying playing and all of that. Um, I just haven't had the time, you know, the season changed, which happens in life. So, so I haven't been able to invest in as much in her character. So it did kind of feel like, all right, I did it. Like I could just close out this book that we're working on, like this, this season of the, you know, where the story's at. And then maybe I'll try a new character. Cause I've, I've pretty much played out, her story 
to the vision. Cause also in addition to her secrets being revealed, like she kind of has a home now and she made friends and I'm not super big in life or in role-playing on like heart to heart moments. And like, you know, let's sit in a circle and talk about our problems and sing Kumbaya. So I was kind of feeling like, well, I don't don't know what else she's going to do at this point. Like, you know, she's, she'll make nice with everybody and have her little closing moments. And then then maybe I'll try something new because I've been playing this character for three years. So yeah. So that was where it was at, but there's been some pushback. (laughs) from the other players so I don't know if you want to explain kind of the feedback that you heard so I'm reconsidering (laughs) yeah yeah it's just interesting where like and I saw this a lot when I played my very first deep RPG the tension between what a game master wants from a character story what an individual player wants from their story and what the other players around the table perceive as their character's relationship with that player's character. So as a game master, one of the open loops in Gears I was frustrated by was there was a player who also had a change in life circumstances. And just let me know, you know, the times we had were great. I just can't continue this anymore. And so as the game master, as like the kind of story architect, it was like, now I've got a missing piece that I've got to figure out how to resolve And also in a way where the other players don't feel like there's this open loop kind of just hanging out there that'll never be able to close. What's interesting is for so long, the players sensed that there were secrets, but they had no idea the magnitude or what those secrets were, how to even approach it. So it felt like Zoe was kind of a separate entity. And now that she's finally in the fold, They're like, finally, we can have a dynamic. And then you were like, I'm actually good now. (laughs) And for for them, they're just kind of like, oh, but that was like part one of three we finally just got done with. And so that's why I think there's, they they so want to now see who Zoe actually is like, because to them, they've been seeing the mask. And now the mat literally like, the mask has been taken off because like you said, she died and that reveals that she's a changeling. Now that they want to kind of get to know her in a different light. So even though like, again, it's interesting because as the player, you're satisfied, like the other players are not. So you always say how D&D can be therapeutic, but it's not therapy. Um, And I think the, you know, part of the motivations behind this podcast and Dragon Mind is bettering yourself through gaming. And if you're paying attention, there's some interesting personality things that can be revealed through the way that you play your characters. And this is not, this is something that I've known about myself. It wasn't like some huge revelation, but it is interesting that as soon as it got to the point of, uh, for lack of a better word, intimacy, like not weird intimacy, but just like connectedness and all of that, uh, my immediate reaction is like, okay, we did it. Let's, uh, time to start something new. You know, like I immediately want to back out of it. Um, cause I just doesn't, it just doesn't interest me as much. I like doing things. I don't like having like heart to heart conversations. And part of what I was feeling was like, well, now all that's left is like reconciling with people. Like now she's got to go into AA and make amends and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but actually it was, it was Lisa, it was your mom 
we were talking with her and I can't remember if it was her or you that said it, but you both agreed that now there's a whole bunch of really cool mechanical stuff Zoe can do. And I do find it interesting that I kind of like forgot about that piece. Like I, <laughs> I was like so focused on the story and I was like, well, all of that deep story development, I feel like if she were, if this were a book, she would have just hit her climax. And now I, now the last few sessions that we have are going to be her happily ever after, like bringing it home, you know, like Frodo coming back to the Shire and then he's got to get rid of, you know, whatever little mess was happening there. And then the story's done, you know, like, so I feel like that we were like in wrap up mode. Um, but I've obviously being able to finally play a changeling being able to finally play a changeling like above table where everyone knows that she has this ability, you know, is, is going to add interesting elements. Um, there was also, you were, as you were at this transition point, you were talking about potentially like giving the space for everyone to make new characters and like going back down to level three and building new stuff. But everybody really likes their characters where they are, which means we're probably going to keep advancing and we're at level 12 now. So, again, there's like mechanical changes that can, that can come. And because of the way you set it up too, I could totally rebuild her character and get to play with different mechanics if I wanted to. And there are some things mechanically that I meant to do when I rebuilt her. She has an archangel friend that, you know, did some retraining with her training with her. So now instead of just being straight barred, which was getting a little, I don't know, boring or whatever. I wanted to do something spicier. Um, and the way I was playing her wasn't really fitting. I don't play support characters. I don't have as much fun playing support characters. So I wanted to bring in some paladin. So we have this ability to shift our characters around. So I could, I could revamp her again a little bit because so she could go through a catharsis kind of thing beyond what she's already gone through because there is this whole element of her now being connected to the fae court as things got revealed because changelings come from fae they're half breeds um but uh she has a connection now so that could bring an interesting element so if i really want a a refresh mechanically i also have story reasons that could do that and yeah and in the end it just comes back to the stephanie might need therapy thing because i <laughs> i just don't i don't like when i get too much spotlight like I like, I like being the wind beneath the wings. That's like my happy place of like creating background momentum. But as soon as it's like, oh, look at what she's doing. I'm like, no, I only get the spotlight when I say the spotlight's on me. So this is like, now everyone's like super excited about Zoe and Stephanie doesn't want to feel like she's dominating things. What's interesting is uh, I see it as kind of the opposite going to happen, my prediction, because now that every, now that the secret is out, they know who she is, so it'll be easier for them to not spotlight her. Um, so if you were to introduce a sudden new character, uh, like Ian switched to Orin from Moo, everyone is constantly interrogating. It's what hilarious. Orin, yeah, what Orin is all about. And and to be honest, Ian kind of wanted to do something, I think, a little similar to Zoe in that Orin has secrets. He wants those secrets revealed over time. And because of how long Zoe went without telling anyone the big thing, they're even more aggressive in terms of spotlighting characters that haven't been around as long and that they don't know a lot about. So 
when we're talking about retiring, though, if if your true motivation is I don't like being the spotlight, switching characters suddenly, even if they don't have any secrets, I don't feel is going to actually accomplish that. Yeah, no, and and you do need to to play a secretive character as a as a player. You have to have a pretty strong con or or fortitude score to uh to to rebuff the the questions now that being said the more i think about it the more i empathize with your instinct to feel as if you know you've you've done the arc that you want and now you have other players wanting to continue the story um, even though you may not be as excited about it. Because again, for Giris, uh, I think I've hinted at this. I'm not sure how clearly I've said this outright, but my original intention was to close the story at book three. So when I look back at the stories, you have this very clean three book arc, this trilogy with this uh, this awesome climax to the quote unquote main quest and these very personal epilogues to each of the characters' stories. And again, none of my players were ready. Like if I said, oh, Geras is done. We're, we're done playing. I think I would have had a revolt, especially because like you said, you've been building Zoe's story for so long. Zoe really like, she had a lot of unresolved loops. Well, and, and this kind of points towards, so I think, if someone could criticize our way of play besides just the typing, um, but the typing also, we, we focus on serving the story first. Um, so I think, yes, from the kind of pulled back perspective, the 50,000 foot perspective, um, stopping there, like a trilogy is there's a reason that there are many trilogies books out there like Lord of the Rings and everything. It's like a solid number, the three act structure, you know, that you get. Um, but this is a human game and the point is human connection. So as much as we prioritize the story in the end, it's the, it's the human connection. And we all had our own stories going that weren't necessarily moving at the same pace as the greater story. Um, like I bet if I were to really dig into it, I bet Zoe probably has like a three act story just it wasn't in line with the books because we weren't planning it that way. And also we just all like playing together. So we didn't want to stop. We're comfortable in the setting that's been created and the, the roles that we've, you know, the characters we've created for ourselves. So we didn't want to switch, you know, and, and in the end, the human thing, as much as we talk about prioritizing story, it's because the story serves the human needs. Yeah. And again, my, I guess my point is that, the decision I made, of course, was not to end it there. And yeah. even though I talked about at the beginning that we're ending a current version, that doesn't mean we're ending individual character stories or we're, we're stopping playing together. But the feeling you've had about like wanting to retire Zoe, but everyone else being like, not yet. It's just now you feel what I felt. Yeah, and I think that's a good example of something we've talked about many times on this podcast about how the GM needs to be or DM needs to be adaptable to the players. So you need to provide a structure, but then you also need to not be a control freak about how things actually play out. Because if you, I could see many DMs being like, nope, I am creating this. I want this result. So you better fit your character story 
into the time that I'm allotting you. So, and you, you really wanted that to happen, but you were okay with, again, you were more focused on the human connection and the, the weaving of stories than the story you wanted to tell. It's not because it's not John's story. It's everybody's story. So it's just a good example as a GM of being adaptable to what your, what your players are saying they want. And yeah. And I think I will to just to, to, to put a pin in it, I I will not retire. So yet I'll keep playing her. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens, but what's nice with gear is, is the way you have it set up. We can also, if I get really bored with her, I can play a different character for one session if I want to. And, um, I also like the idea you had of, um, having some, uh, ready to go like level three characters. So if we have a random snow day or, you know, something gets canceled and all of a sudden four of us, five of us are available, we could just jump in and, and play a one-off. Um, cause I think it's good to have a little bit of both campaigns can be exhausting and tedious and not spontaneous. So if you have the ability and the skills to do both and the buy-in from the players and the GM, to be ready to, to run whichever one is appropriate. Um, then it lets everybody just have fun playing D and D. Now to speak on the, the fizzling for a sec, um, because again, that's what most GMs fear. Fizzling is more likely to happen. You, the longer you allowed a story to run, that's really why it fizzles is because it hasn't resolved before the real world factors start to, uh, cut in. Yeah, and if you have that longer campaign, then especially, you know, so like we have conclusive endings to every session that we play. They're closed loops. Actually, when Zoe died, you ended the session there and everyone got really agitated <laughs> because it was like it, they were, it just kind of blew their, blew their minds. And we're, we've gotten used to satisfaction <laughs> you know in in every session there is a comfortable conclusion we can go to sleep you know and we don't have like this open loop that we have to try to remember um and i could definitely think of campaigns that i think one of the reason that we fit that it fizzled and we didn't prioritize the scheduling was because it was hit or miss sometimes the sessions were really awesome and engaging and then other times it was like a shopping session, which can be fun. Some of my favorite sessions have been shopping sessions, but also, you know, sometimes they're not that exciting. So if you don't, if you don't have a guaranteed story, you know, like closed loop story or, or experience, if you don't create that, that feeling of satisfaction for your players, then that, you know, now they're not going to trust that it's worth showing up. They're not going to have as much commitment to it. And it's going to be easier for them to let other things get in the way because they don't know when it's going to end. And we all got busy lives. Like we're grownups. We're not teenagers that can sit in a basement for 12 hours on a Saturday, drinking Mountain Dew and Red Bull. You know, we, we got lives and kids to take care of. So we have to know that that there's an out, that there's an off ramp at some point, or it's just, it gets hard to maintain the, the commitment if we're just being realistic. So that's where creating those closed loops, um, with positive endings or, or conclusive endings, I guess is a valuable skill to have. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, to go off of what you were saying, I find that when campaigns die, it's because you're on the same thing for too long. So I, I remember there's been a few different campaigns by a few different GMs. So if you feel called out, it's even if I am talking about you, it's not just you. Uh, where let's say you enter a dungeon, right? And like six or seven sessions later, you're in the same dungeon with the same plot of like, we have to go rescue the blacksmith's daughter. And just over and over again, like, yes, there might be new monsters in the dungeon that you fight or different situations. But if it runs on too long in terms of real world time, eventually it becomes monotonous as opposed to exciting. Oh, you just like warped loud and then went back down again. That was weird. Yeah. And then for for all of the the old school people out there that love that dungeon crawly kind of thing. If it keeps your group engaged, awesome. Good for you. It is so amazing that you have found a group of people that like playing the way you play. Hold on to that, you know, as for as long as you can, and then just pay attention if the winds start to shift. But for a lot of people, um, those, yeah, if it gets tedious, it gets hard to stay committed. So there's definitely, and, and I, we have our opinions and I think we say it enough, but we know that they're opinions. And in the end, the the biggest thing that we promote is having these conversations, you know, like we have conversations about, you have conversations with all your players about, you know, who's okay with losing a character and who's not. And I know like Michael, who's been on this podcast multiple times before, um, he likes the idea of a player just being able to die and just doesn't matter where he's at in the story. It's just, that's it. That character's done. And if, if he's okay with that kind of abrupt ending, more power to him. But I know personally for me, like, especially with Zoe, but I think it's happened with every character. I've gotten interested in exploring something and if I don't get the opportunity to do that to to whatever degree I I feel compelled to it's kind of frustrating you know I'd rather get to the point where it's like I'm okay for this character to die you know and then letting the GM know you know "Eh, somewhere in the next five sessions you can like like let her you know we get we can hit a natural conclusion here you can make it dramatic as you want or whatever but for the most part you know i mean people are investing time and energy and creativity so if they don't want that ripped away from them don't so first i will say there is a reason fifth edition DD is the system that got more by a wide margin more people involved in ttrpgs than any other game and as much as Like, I find that there are individuals that can criticize it for being too superhero-y or for player characters not being able to die as easily as older systems. Again, there is a reason why this is most people's introduction to the hobby. So I completely agree. This is our opinion. It also tends to be a popular opinion, and understanding why that is, I think, is uh, a valuable thing to reflect on. So I find more often than not, most people are not comfortable with their character dying abruptly. Um, It's just not why most people get into this specific hobby. 
while we're speaking about Michael, um, and last episode I interviewed him about his system, Distal, one of the things I really like that he did with Distal is the backstory system. And that's actually something we've talked about as well. How one of the things I, I love about it is that it gives an additional twist or complication or detail that as a player you probably wouldn't have thought of on your own to create a more well-rounded, fleshed-out character. Oftentimes, I view death in D&D specifically to be something um, similar. So it's not an absolute, like, you're alive or you're dead. You get to play or you don't. I see it as, you know, the fact that resurrection is easier in 5th edition, I, I see that as a feature, not a bug. And it's because if, like, it happened with Zoe. Zoe died. And then Zoe got resurrected. I didn't, you know, decrease her level or take away from her ability scores or make her have a permanent death save failure or anything. However, her story is very, very different and was immediately impacted by the fact that mechanically she died and was resurrected. And I guess that's the thing. That's the question to reconcile is how much do the mechanics matter versus how much the story matters and what kind of story do you want to tell? We, we say it as a joke, but like Supernatural is a good example of, you know, every season the characters die and then get resurrected. And there's there's this question of does death matter? And the answer is no in the sense of the threat it poses, but yes in terms of its relationship with the story. So I don't think that just being able to lose your character and not be able to play anymore, I personally don't really like that approach. I also don't think that's the only way to make death matter. Well, Grimton, Melinda and Ulrich are gone. We're in a new unfamiliar land of Kolgafir. What's our first move? Polaris, I'm not too certain, but I did hear Fishbelly talking about something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the warlord's half-sister in a meeting. Yeah, that's about the only lead we have so far. We haven't been here long. Might be worth checking out. Seems like a plan to me. Join us as our party explores an unforgiving region of the cusp and allies with new party members in arc three of Advantage, a fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons audio drama focused on storytelling and character development in the Darkmoor Podcast Network. Find us in your podcast app. So I think we covered the, the player side really thoroughly. Uh, now on the GM side, there is a lot more responsibility and a lot more moving parts that they have to deal with because they do as best they can need to try to help the players come to terms with things ending, making sure they get whatever little story moment they want to have to wrap up their character, especially if the campaign is truly coming to a close because it was a limited time thing or, you know, schedules have to change or something like that. If the group is going to be disbanding and you are legitimately bringing it to a close or you're closing out those characters permanently, um, that, you know, that's a lot, that's a lot of moving parts. And you want to have some sort of like conclusive boss fight that feels like the ultimate, you know, end game climactic fight. And so there's a lot, a lot going on. And I know, um, I have never personally written a book, but I know that conclusions and like you said in the beginning where Mike Malcolm Gladwell says that stories are judged by their ending. 
you know, the DM has a lot that they they have to think about to make a solid ending to a campaign. So, John, I know you've done it successfully before. Uh, so what thoughts do you have from from the other side of the screen? So I might have mentioned this earlier, um, but I think it really comes back to the seven baby steps. So I tried to run longer campaigns as my first foray into fourth edition D&D way back in the day. Um, that first game also fizzled. <laughs> um, but I didn't, the, the sessions, the early sessions I was, I reflect on most proudly were the one shots I ran at Quester's Way. And I think those gave me a lot of practice into sticking the landing. Um, and also, if I messed them up, it ended up not really being a big deal. Because again, it's a one shot. You can easily ignore it or just say we're starting again with new characters in a new situation. So because I got a lot of practice ending one shots, it got me in the habit of while I ran campaigns, thinking through ahead of time what the ending could be. And even with Gearis, um, the practice was what would be an awesome ending and am I ready to continue if that's not what's going to end up happening? An awesome example in Gearis uh, was the end of what we call book one, uh, which was the fight with the Razor Lord. I went into that session completely prepared for my players to think of some random thing I hadn't even considered and completely wallop him. And, you know, he had been kind of built up as this mysterious villain and one possibility was that the climax of that book was that the player characters defeat him and then learn a whole bunch of stuff, which may propel into the next book. That was not how that fight went. <laughs> he definitely uh, overpowered the player characters. That was the first time I'd really felt like I'd successfully, as the bad guy, won the fight, but hadn't discouraged my players, in fact, motivated them. Um and it ended up, he ended up becoming a, a much more powerful villain through the next two books. So I guess when it comes to the ending, the best way to get good at it is to practice it. And the only way to practice it is by doing it in a small, controlled way first. And then like the seven baby steps, you build to longer and longer stories that demand bigger and bigger endings. Have we talked about before how you basically just used the Marvel model? Like that's... That's all you've done, you know, and like the Razor Lord was Thanos, who was relevant for a time. And then they they concluded all those storylines before they got too big, which is what you're talking about. Each each movie had a conclusive ending, had its own story arc. There was satisfaction. But then there was also that little glimmer of like, it's not done yet. There's still this this little hanging thread, you know, and whether in, in D&D that came up, you know, in Gears as the characters pulling the thread, um, sometimes you left something hanging. But for that day, for that movie, we we had a solid conclusion. It brought it all the way through. Um, so I think that's the I mean, and Marvel, what it's done is ridiculous in terms of the number. I mean, they they honestly went to the extreme it's too much at this point i you have to be such a diehard to keep up with with all of it it's almost a little bit frustrating and demoralizing at this point because there's too much going on and there's too many things to try to keep up on so when it you know uh, that 
what they call the phases or whatever. Like, I feel like up through end game, it was just, it was exactly the way that we play Gears, where it was these really epic story loops, the, the smaller movies, you know, the individual superhero movies had their own value. And then there was the culmination, the season, like we do season finales where everybody comes and plays. Was that intentional? Were you like specifically thinking about Marvel? I feel like we may have talked about that before, but it just struck me even. Yes. Yeah. Again. So yeah. uh, about a year ago, we recorded a world building podcast where we kind of dove in a little bit. And yes, that was very intentional. Even the book three finale was modeled after Endgame where everybody that we've come to know comes in for some big final battle. Also, the weaknesses... I, I didn't get the benefits without the weaknesses. So one of the criticism of Marvel phase four and we don't phase five isn't done with yet. So we can't judge it quite as a, as a whole um, is the fact they didn't point to anything. So because they had this big thing, they're now going back to these little one shots, these little stories. And there are all these disconnected threads that are not being woven together at all. Um, the biggest example is the Eternals ended with literally a god erupting from the ocean and going to blow up the planet. And so in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in the ocean, there's this huge titanic giant monster just kind of frozen that nobody talks about. It came up like once as a side joke in She-Hulk where it's like, hey, wonder if anyone's ever going to talk about that. But like it's never mentioned again and it might be later. One of the things I still find fascinating is Thor the Dark World at the time was considered like eh, it's an OK movie. It's it's all right. It's, it's not great. It's not terrible, but it's not awesome. And most people ignored it until Endgame when they they finally referenced like, hey, this movie mattered and this is how it weaves in eight, 12, 15 movies later. Um, so there's the possibility it might come back up to mattering, but that was my fear going into Gears book four is that I would basically be trying to like, ah, keep the momentum going, especially if players feel satisfied, but they're not ready to let go. And also now they're not really driving things as much as they were in the first three books. And that's exactly what happened. Um, in fact, one of the things I reflect on is the fact that we're going into the last three sessions to wrap up book four of Gearus. And I think I pulled a trigger a little too quick. And it was, but it was also, so so basically we're going into a final fight right after Zoe's revelation. I didn't give Zoe time to really decompress and process and let everyone ask their questions and go on adventures where now she could, if she wanted to use her changeling powers and it was because as I was scheduling everybody, it was becoming more and more apparent that it was becoming more and more difficult because life is happening. Like like you said, in the pandemic, everything was slow. Everyone had more time. Um, now that things are things have been not only back to normal, but I feel like picking up faster and faster. Uh, we, we see it in our martial arts school. Like we have we usually would get bubbles of new students. And there would be times in between where we'd be like, oh, man, I wish a new student would come in. But since the summer of 2023, it's been this constant stream and it's awesome. And I love the energy. And 
that just is an indicator that everyone's lives are going like faster than they were before the pandemic. And when everyone's outside life is going faster, they don't have as much D&D time, which is totally okay. But what it means is that there are certain concessions from the broader 50,000 foot GM perspective I have to make in order to be able to move things into a new structure that is going to be more accommodating for everyone's schedules. I think it's going to work out fine in the end because when she died or I be, the whole the whole thing resulted in her basically being in line to take the throne in the oh god I should know this the autumn court spring <laughs> the spring court um which would kind of prevent her from being able to to run around and play swift guard person you know so so there is this kind of decision point and and shift that's happening so i think allowing this to to wrap up you know swiftly like cuz based on how you set it up she's not going to just go put her around you know with this and i mean she could i mean people people put off big decisions for long periods of time you know like that's a thing that happens but i i feel like i'm in a place where i'm ready for her major loops to be closed so we got to kind of close this major loop and see how it's going to all fall out and how it's going to work out um and then go from there yeah no i i have complete faith that it'll be a fun time and that everyone is going to receive it positively uh, for the most part. Um, it, it's so interesting. It's like, again, to use our martial arts school as an example, we do outreach where oftentimes we go out to schools and, you know, either run an after school martial arts program or do some sort of five animal leadership presentation about uh, mindfulness in the martial arts. And in my head, I will notice the the slight thing where it's like, ah, I like, I used the wrong word there, or like, ah, I stuttered my word a little bit. And to me, it's like, ah, that's something to that's something to practice for next time. But for someone who doesn't know me, looking in, hearing this for the first time, like a lot of the teachers are their minds are blown. Like they're not noticing like how I could have worded one sentence like a little better. They're just captivated by the content and by the majority of the execution so there's that to keep in mind as a gm too is that we're our own worst critics and that again when it comes back to paying attention to your players that's why the surveys are so valuable because so long as we have the trust that players are being honest and filling them out like a lot of times we'll get feedback and it'll be like oh i thought i really fumbled that but it ended up resolving much better on their end than I thought. Um, and the other side has also been true. There's been times I thought I've been like, man, nailed that encounter. And then like players have given me feedback where it's like, I found that mechanic annoying. So there's a little bit of a both and, but again, surveys, super valuable for getting usable feedback as a GM. In, in, in our teacher training program, we, we talk about kind of that juxtaposition of admonishments you could say of you know don't sell yourself short but also don't don't believe your own pre press releases you know and you have to have kind of that that yin and yang that balance to it um where you don't i i heard recently i was reading i don't even remember what book it was 
And this was just like a tiny little piece in it, but he was talking about the difference between self-reflection and self-rumination. And rumination is when you just end up in this downward spiral of beating yourself up uh, and just feeling bad for stuff that you can't change and don't have control over because uh, it already happened, even if it was your own choices. Um, and then where self-reflection is looking back on your past and the choices that you made so that you can better inform your future choices so that you can become, you know, a better version of yourself. And if you get stuck in self-rumination, you're not helping anybody, you know? So it's, it, it is, it's a tightrope walk to be able to critically look at yourself, your work, you know, the things you create and produce the interactions that you have, um, without, ending up depressed or or stuck in a loop of beating yourself up because it's just it's not going to get you anywhere but you gotta you also have to be willing to look look in the mirror thank you everyone for listening to today's episode our theme song the lounge is brought to you by fezlian studios and you can check out more of their awesome work at fezlianstudios.com this podcast is also a proud member of the darkmore podcast network To discover more excellent TTRPG content like this, head to darkmorepodcasts.com. Last but not least, to support this podcast, make sure to drop a five-star review in your app of choice. It's a little thing that goes a long way. Have an awesome day and an awesome time at the table. Bye-bye now.